you know, it's really easy for a consumer to start looking for a product. And if you don't have a good online shopping experience, they might go directly to your competitor. I actually found a stat from Google that said 50% of shoppers won't purchase from a brand that has a poorly designed uh, site, especially a mobile site. So again, the takeaway here is people are expecting ease, convenience, speed, you know, whether they be on their desktop or on mobile. And if they can't find it, they'll move on to the competitor. So if you don't have that user experience that's on point, it'll be hard for your brand to kind of continue on with the e-commerce piece in 2020. Curious to know what industry-leading marketers are looking to achieve in the ever-evolving digital landscape? The How Agencies Thrive podcast by StackAdapt is dedicated to helping the new breed of forward-thinking, savvy, lean, and mean marketers win in the rapidly evolving digital landscape. Time to thrive. Hello, everyone. My name is Vitaly Pichersky, and I'm the co-founder of StackAdapt and the host of this podcast. If you're listening to our show previously, you know that we wrapped up our first season of the podcast two months ago. And if you haven't heard it already, I recommend you going back and checking it out. And we weren't planning really putting anything out until 2021. But honestly, there's been just so many changes happening on the market. And we decided to put together this special holiday edition of this podcast episode to talk about the trends in the space and help our advertisers navigate opportunities and maximize the big shopping season uh, that's coming up. So today I'm inviting back Meredith Henschel from our solutions team for a chat. Meredith, welcome back to the show. Thanks for telling me about having me again. I'm excited to chat with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's the third time you're joining me. Is that right? Yeah. Well, Meredith, thanks again for, for joining. And, you know, the first question, you know, at least in my mind, that's pressing, you know, obviously, we've been in, in a state of pandemic for the past, uh, probably seven, eight months at this point. And you've helped our clients and helped put together a lot of uh, research content around the ways to adjust to the new kind of new norm. So maybe to start with, can you tell us a little bit about sort of how brands have been adjusting over this last six months and what kind of new uh, sort of trends that you've seen emerge uh, since then? Yeah, absolutely. So a big part of my job on the solutions team is paying attention, uh, like you mentioned, to consumer changes in the market and how different brands can pivot, um, especially within kind of a vertical focused framework. Obviously, you know, different verticals have been impacted very differently by COVID-19. So our team's been paying really close attention to those trends and then, you know, trying to come up with some recommendations for brands to help navigate this change. And I think the biggest takeaway that I've seen throughout all verticals on all levels, it's basically that we're going to expect a lot of change and you know, we've kind of seen the trends that we did expect in 2020. We've kind of just seen an acceleration of these trends versus, you know, massive differences. So I know that we're going to talk about a lot of these different trends over the course of the podcast, but a few standouts that I think most marketers are probably familiar with now. Number one being, you know, the increase in media consumption overall, especially on channels like streaming, OTT, um, digital video, and also on mobile channels. This has been pretty well documented, you know, across the past few months. Um, it makes sense intuitively, you know, people were in lockdown, they had more time overall to kill at home by starting to, you know, stream content and, and just try to entertain themselves at home. So that's something that, I mean, it's, it's not super surprising, but as marketers, it's something that we definitely need to be paying attention to. And the big takeaway here is really just the shift towards digital. And again, this is happening across all demographics, which is pretty interesting as well. Um, not just, you know, typically younger demographics that you might think of when you think of digital media consumption. So it, it as marketers, you know, if you want to speak to all types of people, digital should be a focus in 2020 and, and ahead, ahead in 2021. Yeah. You know, preparing for this episode, I was doing some reading about uh, just obviously advertising during crisis. And I think you know, one thing that a lot of marketers are maybe not thinking about is that 
you know, really during economic growth, it's obviously a lot easier to sell, right? Mm -hmm. But during the times when there's an economic um, downturn or during times of crisis like it is now, obviously having clear, kind of clever advertising is not really enough to, to sell a lot of products because it kind of the main driver really for successful businesses starts with disposable income of those consumers mm-hmm. and them having confidence in the future and trusting the economy. So I found this really interesting model from 2009. So that was just, just after the last crisis uh, that was published in Harvard Business Review. Um, and I wanted to share some uh, some interesting insights from it. So I found it being pretty applicable to today's environment because it it kind of describes these four groups of people that respond to crisis differently. And I think it would help to frame like, basically, the this is a lens through which you should think about your own consumers and try to tailor your messaging around these four segments of users. So, you know, obviously, usually we think about audience segmentation from more like demographic and lifestyle perspective. So maybe shoppers over 40 or luxury shoppers. But during a crisis uh, or a recession, this may be less relevant. Um, so it's more important to consider kind of consumers' emotional reaction to the economic environment. Hmm. So these four models uh, that were uh, brought forward, um, they're basically as follows. So there's uh, slam on the brake segments. So these are people who kind of hit the hardest by the uh, hit, is, uh, hit hardest financially. So this group reduces or eliminates spending pretty much across the board. So this is obviously typically a low income segment, but it also includes a lot, a lot of anxious high income consumers that can fall into that category because of. Uh, maybe health or income circumstances that change during the um, change in of economic uh, environment, and in our case, it's probably health is more related. The second group is uh, it's called pained but patient consumers. So they're the ones that are more optimistic about long term uh, recovery of the economy, uh, but are less confident about prospects for a very quick recovery. So they're a little bit more pessimistic on a short term. So they do reduce their spending uh, just less aggressively than the first segment. The third group, it's called comfortably well-off consumers. So these people are represented by basically the top 5% of the income bracket of consumers pre-crisis. So um, they these are usually wealthy individuals that are maybe an older demographic so potentially that baby boomer demographic that we'll we'll talk a little bit later and they they could be either retired or maybe they're investors with low income investments so they're typically their purchasing is less elastic when it comes to changes in 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 the economic economic environment and the fourth one is live for the moment segment so these people are usually are not very concerned with savings. These typically are younger demographic who spend a lot of money on experiences. So th- changes in economic environment doesn't affect their behavior that much. So unless they're unemployed entirely. So where I'm going at with is, is that it's important to think about your, your customer base from this other dimension on how they respond to crisis mm-hmm. and understanding where does your product actually fit in with respect to like on the scale of like luxury to necessity? If you, you have something very essential to survival or well-being, obviously it, it's a lot less responsive to changes in the economic environment. But if you're in a category where your product can be easily postponed or it's something that you, uh, people spend disposable income on, you should really think of how to find new segments of users within your customer base, depending on their response to that uh, economic changes. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And something that's standing out to me there is just, again, thinking about how your product is divided up amongst these four groups, because it will change quite significantly depending on what vertical you're in and the current landscape. I think you know a pretty easy example to think about would be the travel vertical, right? Well, we've seen a huge decline in travel over the past six months. That being said, there are people who have pivoted and are still looking to do some sort of travel and, and get away somehow. And maybe that could be like part of the live for the moment group, whatever it might be. 
but the way that they are traveling is quite different. So, you know, thinking about domestic versus international travel, car travel versus airplane travel, weekend getaways and whatnot, people looking to travel safely, you know, depending on what you're, you're selling, even within these four groups, the messaging has to speak to each one of these groups, but also speak to kind of the changes that are happening in that current moment. And I think big takeaway there would just be the concept of pivoting and pivoting quickly, segmenting your customers base differently, and then, you know, aligning your messaging to really line up with that group or else, you know, the messaging just won't land. So I, I totally agree about pivoting, but I think one kind of word of caution that I would give to to the advertisers is that I think they shouldn't panic and try to change their brand's fundamentals or positioning. Mm. It's more really about new, finding new segments of users versus trying to appeal to new demographic entirely. Because, you know, if you if you start with selling to middle and upper income consumers, and if you feel like, okay, well, uh, our product is more more of a postponable or a treat type of type of product, uh, you may be tempted to, you know, how can we rebrand it towards more essential or um, essential type of product. But, you know, truth be told is that if you do that, you will probably alienate your existing customers. Like you will cause a lot of confusion in, in your potentially core customer demographic that hmm. will potentially be very surprised by like wh- what's happening with this brand. Is it no longer standing by the same values uh, as mm-hmm. to why it would not no longer reflect basically why I buy it in the first place. So you could potentially actually cause a lot of damage to your your, your main customer base by trying to appeal kind of to to people that have dropped off. So instead of doubling down on customer customers like them, you you should just acknowledge that the customer base will change. And I, I found some interesting example uh, back in two thousand eight when De Beers, the diamond company. You know, they obviously look at the diamonds and, you know, you don't really need diamonds for survival, for most of us at least. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, they thought, like, how can we really maximize an opportunity, right? And for them, it was fairly straightforward, right? So they, they just doubled down on the messaging that diamonds are forever. They basically urged people to, to buy fewer things, but just better quality or better things. Uh, supporting kind of the, the idea of their uh, of their product, and they mm. they actually doubled their advertising uh, budget that year over a previous one. So they saw um, economic crisis an opportunity for growth. I don't know exactly what what that translated in terms of sales, but I right. imagine it was uh, it was fairly impactful. Right. That that is an interesting point, and I think I agree in some sense. But I think we could also talk a little bit more about that kind of core versus more audience. And like you said, your audience base is potentially shifting. So you will have that, you know, core group of consumers. But then there is this newer group that might start acting very differently during a time of crisis. And your some of your core group could potentially shift away from, you know, what they previously, their previous behaviors and what they're previously interested in. Um, that being said, I agree with you in the sense that brands shouldn't pivot their entire brand you know, to kind of, I think in doing that, you can kind of lose consumer trust, um, which is also quite important. But I think what we could do instead is think about those two groups, your core audience, your your brand loyal uh, consumer base, and then this, this more audience, people that potentially are slipping away from your core group or n- new consumers that are looking um, for different brands during a time of crisis. I mean, that can happen for many different reasons. I think one of them that we will talk about later is, you know, thinking about price. But before we get into that, I think as we start segmenting our audiences, and I think this is a point that we are agreeing on is, you know, the key here is to to find your audience and segment them out and then speak to each one of those groups in a way that will resonate with them. So, you know, for that core audience, you you do want to make sure that you're not completely changing your brand messaging and to your point, like doubling down on what your brand's core values are. At the same time, you want to make sure that you are speaking to the changes that are going on, sorry, to to make sure that you're not appearing tone deaf um, to the consumer's needs. Because I think we all know that it our needs have shifted quite a bit in the past few months. So, you know, really, I think the key point there, again, is just coming down to that segmenting piece, whether it be core versus more or 
um, you know, how your audience behaves during a crisis, segmented that way as well. Uh, and then testing out different messaging with these two groups of audiences and see really what performs and then optimizing towards that. Uh, I think speaking to, it's really important to to pay attention to what's going on with your consumer base um, because otherwise, you know, you could, you could potentially lose that, uh, that core audience as well. Yeah. So, so speaking of audiences, um, obviously for a very long time, it was all about <laughs> marketing to millennial demographic, right? And that's mm-hmm. rapidly changing uh, towards baby boomer demographic. Can you tell us more about that change that you, you've, you've picked up on? Yeah. So as we were researching uh, for the holiday guide, this is something that we came up against that I, I found to be quite interesting as well. You know, it's the whole concept of paying attention to the boomers right now. And, and why is that? From our research, what we found is baby boomers are actually better positioned to financially weather the economic impact of COVID-19. And the reason for that is because they actually hold a far greater proportion of the wealth, uh, at least in the U.S., than Gen X or millennials, like the younger demographics. And they are less at risk of losing you know, overall household income than these other generations which I, I found to be quite interesting. So then the question becomes here, you know, okay, so I should pay attention to boomers because they have greater spending power. They're less at, less at risk of losing the spending power. But the question is now, how do we actually reach this group and speak to them in a way that, that resonates? Um, so what behaviors are they exhibiting during, you know, the, the pandemic? Again, figuring out who the segment is and what behaviors they're exhibiting now during the pandemic that might be different than what they were doing pre-pandemic. So I think that comes back to our earlier point as well, right? Actually paying attention to not only segmenting them out, but maybe some of the changes that we've seen within this group. And one of the interesting things that we found there was compared to other demographics, boomers, you know, we spoke about an increase in digital media consumption. That's something that we saw across all demographics, less so with the boomers, but still a substantial amount. I think it was around 43% over the pandemic. So, you know, they are following these, these trends. And another thing that we, we found was typically boomers are focused on in-store shopping and sort of purchasing. But obviously, with COVID-19, people are less inclined to shop in-store. So, you know... We're now seeing a mix of kind of e-commerce and in-store purchasing, a little bit more in-store purchasing than, say, younger demographics. But still, it's kind of a 50-50 split in the boomer demographic right now. Yeah. And I found there's a few interesting points here, but a few things to note would be kind of segmenting these people out by, you know, the, the e-commerce shoppers, potentially boomers who have now been forced to adopt uh, online shopping. I think about 40% of boomers have actually increased their digital spending than uh, prior to the pandemic. But at the same time, you know, there's still people that are heading in stores. So how are we going to speak to both online and offline shoppers? What products are boomers actually shopping for in store versus online, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with, I think with baby boomers that maybe on average, they uh, financially haven't been, uh, been hit as hard as maybe some younger demographics but i think this pandemic brought a a very big change to their um to their shopping behavior so potentially primarily driven by health reasons to your point about you know their preference to shop in store before pandemic that completely was flipped on its head because now you can't really go shop shop in store Mm. Whereas a lot of younger demographics still feel comfortable shopping in store, uh, even during time like like today. So, if anything, they had to go probably through the steepest learning curve uh, to adapt to the new reality. Uh, actually, last week, my wife's grandma, who is uh, 85 years old, she started using her uh, iPad and uh, iPhone uh, earlier this year, and we were in Ottawa, which is like an hour drive. So she called us because she was logged out and she couldn't figure out how to properly reset password. And we, we tried to uh, guide her through like the process of 
logging in. And we actually end up having to drive for an hour just to help set up her, her iPad. Just because, <laughs> you know, w- without having access to, you know, email, like she was completely cut out from kind of civilization. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it, it was incredibly taxing on her not to be able to use this technology. So all of a sudden she went from not, not having to use technology really ever to incredibly dependent on this technology. And it's pretty incredible how quickly she actually picked up using it and ordering things online. And I think that that trend will continue. And I I think hopefully next year she will be buying and using her technology even more and she will become even more well-versed, you know, like I, I think I explained to her what two-factor authentication is pretty well. So I think she, she, (laughs) she was even talking to us about it. So I think discrediting all the demographic around technology is, uh, is naive because like, I think there's a huge opportunity for for them to improve the quality of their life through it. Yeah. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for those conversations, (laughs) but um, something to your point, uh, I was reading an article posted, uh, published by McKinsey and One of the quotes they had in there was, we have covered a decade in days when it comes to the adoption of digital, kind of to your point about, you know, overcoming these hurdles and people who typically weren't using online platforms or shopping online have now been forced to do so. In the U.S. alone, you know, e-commerce has jumped, the growth of e-commerce has jumped to more than 30 percent, which is what we were expecting in 2022, not 2020. So it's really, you know, accelerated this by nearly two years. And I'm sure, you know, if we look at that by demographic, it's it's different. Uh, I'm sure, you know, older demographics have had, you know, had to adopt this a lot more quickly this year than say younger demographics. But I just, you know, we'll see the other thing to your point. I think the industry was moving that way to begin with, but What's been highlighted to me is really this acceleration of these overall trends. And I'm really interested to see as we move into 2021 uh, and beyond that, what the stickiness of these trends will look like. Um, You know, how many users who have been forced to start shopping online will continue to do so? And what the kind of demographic breakdown or audience breakdown will be of those groups? What kind of bounce back we will see? I personally think that, you know, we're kind of we've overcome this huge barrier and it will likely continue on that way. Maybe not as quickly as we've seen, you know, a 30% growth in one year. But again, we'll have to kind of pay attention to what happens in the next few months or a few years to see if these are trends that are here to stay or if they are simply a product of what's going on right now. But I think, again, just the key point there is pay attention to what your consumers are doing and see if they continue on this path or if they'll pivot back to to what they preferred pre-pandemic. Yeah. So one one point, actually, I want to call out before before we move on to the next question. From a tactical perspective, you know, when we talk about baby boomers, I think it's important to understand sort of what, what type of content they're most influenced in when they make a decision mm-hmm. about buying a product. And, you know, obviously in a younger demographic, everybody uh, always talks about social media and, you know, the impact of their friends on their purchase decision. But with older demographic, you know, surprisingly, based on the research that we had in the guide uh, that you helped pull, is that that purchase decision was really driven by a lot of online reviews, content, digital advertising. So mm-hmm. that kind of storytelling approach, like brand storytelling, it's incredibly powerful with an older demographic, uh, arguably more so than with younger demographics. So I think that presents a really good opportunity for brands to have uh, really interesting stories to tell. And hmm. you know, older demographics seems to really resonate with that message. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, like you said, this older demographic shies away from social with maybe the exception of Facebook. And they don't trust social channels as much, but they do really look for online reviews, blog posts, and digital ads and whatnot. So using formats potentially like, you know, native that kind of um, mimic that online content format um, are really powerful with this group. Also, in terms of storytelling, using high impact units like digital video and OTT can also speak to these baby boomers, especially, you know, as they're spending more time consuming media than they were previously. 
And, you know, boomers also having grown up on traditional TV, they're more familiar with and respond better to ads that kind of mimic that linear TV experience. So using a format like video, digital video or TT formats to really drive that storytelling piece, but also using that um, to kind of mimic something that they are familiar with. It brings it circle. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. From Thanksgiving to holiday festivities and ringing in the new year, 2020 will be unlike anything before. It presents interesting opportunities to reach consumers whose behaviors have already significantly changed shape and are likely to continue for the 2020 season and beyond. Here at the How Agencies Thrive podcast, we are obsessed with helping marketers best respond to today's ever-changing landscape. That's why we have reframed the holidays for 2020 in a new lens. Visit go.stackitup.com slash holiday guide for an invaluable resource that highlights insights, recommendations, and inspirations to help you manage through uncertainty and plan for the season ahead. That's go.stackitup.com slash holiday guide. And I think that question, this question is going to be really relevant because we're in November. Uh, This is the busiest time for shopping. I still haven't finished my Christmas shopping, which gives me gives me a lot of anxiety. So <laughs> I'm hoping that I'll find some time this weekend to do it. Uh, but the question is really around e-commerce and how retailers are adjusting to in-store shopping experiences. Mm. So you know, working uh, with clients in this vertical, like around retail or consumer goods, maybe two-part question almost. Uh, how have you seen brands? adjusting to towards this rapid shift towards e-commerce and the second part of the question is how are retailers adjusting to that change and also changes to in-store shopping experience right so to to address the first question here you know how we've seen brands starting to adjust to the shift towards e-commerce i think the biggest point here is this is now a necessary part of the shopping experience. It's no longer a nice to have. If brands want to succeed in 2020 and beyond, they must have an e-commerce component to their business. And that component needs to be easy to use, reliable, fast. The user experience has to be on point. This kind of comes back to the point about stickiness. You know, is this just a trend that will be adopted? because of the pandemic and then thrown away afterwards, or are we going to see a shift this way permanently? And I think you know, we're already seeing a shift this way. It's likely that that will continue. But I think when we look at stickiness in general, it's kind of a combination of you know forced behavior multiplied by the satisfaction of the customer. And right now, you know, we're seeing people forced to do a lot of online shopping. How satisfied they are with the experience will really play into whether they continue a shopping online, but more importantly, if they continue to shop online with that brand, you know, it's really easy for a consumer to start looking for a product. And if you don't have a good online shopping experience, they might go directly to your competitor. I actually found a stat from Google that said 50% of shoppers won't purchase from a brand that has a poorly designed uh, site, especially a mobile site. So again, the takeaway here is people are expecting ease, convenience, speed, you know, whether they be on their desktop or on mobile. And if they can't find it, they'll move on to the competitor. So if you don't have that user experience that's on point, it'll be hard for your brand to kind of continue on with the e-commerce piece uh, in 2020. Yeah, you know, this customer experience is such an important point and it kind of supports something that I've been trying maybe to talk more about that I think, you know, marketing can never live in the silo where you have a brand going through so much change that, for example, was brought on to us this year. Marketing alone cannot solve that. Uh, all teams need to work together to find new solutions for improved customer experience. So, for example, you know, just even thinking about my, my challenge to find a chair for my new uh, home office. <laughs> I went to to a store, didn't find anything good. There's a lot of options online, but chair is something that it's so hard to understand how you would fit into that chair, yeah. how you would sit. Is it meant for a taller person, a shorter person? Um, so I would love if a retailer had, you know, almost like a digital consultant that 
you know, would <laughs> just walk me through an office, uh, mm-hmm. through a store and sit totally. on the chairs, explain, at least from their perspective, how it, how it feels to sit in this chair. That would make my life so much easier, but I'm mm-hmm. picking a chair completely blindly. And I think that can easily be something done across many industries. And actually, I heard that Gucci uh, introduced this kind of on-demand video calls where you're on the oh. website browsing products and, and sale, shopping assistant would actually, at the store, they would, you know, um, show the product kind of through a video camera. And Interesting. obviously, marketing alone cannot solve that problem, right? You have to have right. maybe support staff or hire specialists who can assist with this, right? Or maybe retrain individuals. So that's a conversation I think that marketers really need to think about talking with their uh, product teams and because all of this kind of has to be orchestrated together. But I think it, mm-hmm. it's a really good opportunity for brands that jump on um, on this opportunity quickly because like, that's how shoppers are buying now. Uh, like, that's how people are buying now. And whoever is there leading the, the path for this new customer experience, I think they, will, they have a huge opportunity to, to kind of really secure this new mindshare um, with these forward-thinking retail, uh, retail brands. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been doing too much shopping at Gucci, um, but <laughs> but I, I have been doing. <laughs> 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 uh, but I have been shopping at other online retailers, and something that I've noticed in the past, you know, six months, just as a consumer, is certain brands will have you now put in your own measurements, or if you've bought a certain product before, and then they can tell you based on, you know, how other consumers are shopping that are of your similar measurements if they were satisfied with the size that you're potentially looking at buying. So if you're usually a small, you know, is this this product, this shirt that you're looking at buying now, are most consumers your size satisfied with a small? And I think I, I've at least started gravitating towards these brands that, you know, are able to provide a little bit more personalization to your point, you know, than other brands that are it's kind of just a black box. Like and that comes back to what we we're saying. If I can't find what I'm looking for or not even the products I'm looking for, but the customer support that I'm looking for that I'm missing from an in-store experience online, then it's very easy for me to just go to a competitor site. You know, you can be on there for a few minutes, bad experience, and then you're off of there. So again, that yeah. that piece of personalization is so important um, when we talk yeah. about e-commerce. Mm-hmm. The shopping experience has to be really, really frictionless. Mm-hmm. There has to be so much over communication around, like with e-commerce, like take clothing for example. Telling the sizes is just not enough because each each item fits differently and fits different mm-hmm. people differently. Even telling, well, things like when in um, on e-commerce when they show this, say this model for example is six two or whatnot, it can easier to put yourself in the shoes of that model and see like how it could potentially fit. But I just got two pairs of pants yesterday. I put them on my size exactly, but the pant length length is like halfway up my shin. So like they're, <laughs> you know, 10 inches sh- short. I was like, how, how could that happen? You know, waist is perfectly <laughs> fine, but they're so short. And so obviously I'm returning it back and it's, it's, it's really frustrating that uh, I was waiting for it. I was excited by it. Yeah. But Am I, what kind of taste does this e-commerce store leave with me if I'm at the end, I'm returning clothes, not only for me, but that's also incredibly wasteful for resources on their end. So if I was to give one advice, it's just over-communicate. It's so important right now. Over-communicate on the landing pages, on the checkout pages. It's better to drive fewer sales, but have sales that go through people, get the value that they hope to get out of the product. They refer you to more customers. They keep coming back. Having that brand loyalty is way more important than driving these quick sales that result in huge churn. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. There was a second part to your question, and I think it had to do with retailers and in-store shopping. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is um, something that surprised me when doing the research for this guide. So I, I found it quite interesting. So we looked at data from the 2008 financial crisis, and we noticed that during a recession, um, shoppers are more inclined to pre-plan their purchase before they even go into a store. Hmm. And 
you know, that was 2007, 2008, 2009, financial crisis around that time. That was prior to, you know, what we see now in terms of shopping online and, and this acceleration of digital. So where are we doing our research more often now is online, um, on our phones, especially, you know, through different ads and whatnot. So what the takeaway there for us was is, you know, if you're still deciding to go in store, um, you're comfortable with the risk of in-store shopping. Um, you, you know, prefer to talk to someone in store or try the product on for yourself or whatever it is. A lot of consumers are actually pre-planning what they're going to get before they enter the store because of a recession. There's two parts to this though. So the, the first part is because of that recession effect, it's people are looking to cost save. So they're planning ahead. So they can figure out, you know, compare online about different brands, different products, which one is potentially less expensive. When are people having sales? Okay, then I'm going to go in and store, try it on potentially and buy it. What we're also seeing now, though, that is unique to the COVID-19 situation is that it's not only price based right now, still plays a huge factor, but people are also less inclined to spend more time in the store right now because of the health risk, right? If you can minimize your your time, the amount of time you spend in store, you minimize your risk of potentially, you know, falling ill. So we actually looked at some data here and now what people are doing, you know, here's a stat, it's 56% of the time people went straight to the usual location for items that they wanted. So people aren't really browsing. They know what they're they're getting. I'm in to get toothpaste. That's all I need. I'm in and out. I know what brand I want. I'm getting out of there. People are skipping a lot more aisles. I think 35% of people were skipping aisles and limiting sections in a store. And 42% of the time, people are spending less time in the store, you know, before they did with COVID-19. So what that means for, for brands is that in order to be the product that people are researching beforehand, that's top of mind before they actually step in the store and you're the one thing they might grab off the shelves, you need to speak to those consumers before they even step their feet in the store, right? You have to make sure that their online discovery, your product is being thought of top of mind. They know about your product. They know the pros and the cons before they even make it into the store so that it's more likely that your product is the one that's taken off the shelf, which I found to be really fascinating. That's, you know, that's so so funny that you, you say that because I noticed uh, just even the way we shop since pandemic, we, we actually started using a lot more shopping lists. Before that, I just you know, right. walk into the store, pick up whatever whatever I feel like. But now, you know, when we go shopping, we actually have a very clear shopping list and we just go in, buy stuff and leave. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe even that's, you know, as a tactical perhaps, um, you know, recommendation for advertisers. Maybe they they really could prioritize almost content that's built around just helping clients understand how their product fits into their day-to-day life and almost... You know, if, for example, your consumer packaged goods, like really paint the picture of how this product fits into their recipes, for example, whatever they cook at home. Mm-hmm. So really help them picture this product in their day to day versus hoping that they will get inspired and connect those dots themselves. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to the next question, and I know we've been already uh, <laughs> chatting for quite some time, but I, I really <laughs> do want to cover uh, the topic specifically related to kind of budgets that advertisers plan for next year. And obviously, there's been a lot of shifts when it comes to where the budgets are being spent. You know, we've seen a huge decline in, in traditional advertising, in traditional TV, yeah. um, out of home experiential marketing, all of it just took enormous hit. And Mm -hmm. digital, luckily, is growing like crazy because obviously everybody's gone gone digital. But I think it's not only because the attention is there, but I think it's because of measurability. Yeah. You know, things like influencer marketing, I think the reason why that never really blown up to its mm, kind of original hype is that it's just incredibly hard to measure um, the way you can do it in programmatic. So. 
you know, kind of one of the last topics I would love to discuss is the topic of measurement and mm -hmm. perhaps in the context of retail environment. I know that we recently partnered with Oracle's um, Mode Outcomes product. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it works and what sort of adoption have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. Before I dive into the actual Moat Outcomes product, I do want to speak a little bit about why measuring you know, return on ad spend is more important now than it probably has been um, in, in recent years, especially when it relates to digital marketing, because you know, digital marketing has kind of taken off um, in the past few years as we've become more digital. But also, you know, with the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19, it, it is really important for marketers to kind of prove that return on ad spend because, you know, it's the right now we're we're still kind of in this holding pattern. So ad budgets are a little bit more fluid than they might have been in, in previous years. You know, even this year we saw, you know, TV budgets were completely pulled. Okay, so now where are those dollars going? And some of the stats here, we there's still about a, a five percent of budgets here that are increasing in 2021, uh, but 70% of that is still not been locked down by end brands. So what that says to us is that there still is, you know, there's the budget's growing here, but a lot of it is still kind of up in the air. So how can you as a marketer kind of prove to the end brand that it's worth investing in, in spending with you and spending on digital? And what we think you know, is really important here is proving that kind of return on ad spend. Every dollar that I spend here is actually going to have an impact. And so one of the things that we've built out in order to help our advertisers prove that is this Moat Outcomes product. And this is essentially a sales lift attribution product, meaning it can help answer one of the most important questions and one of the most challenging questions for marketers. You know, how are my marketing dollars actually affecting purchases? How are they driving sales? So how it works is, you know, we're going to tag um, your media and then through the moat identity graph, we match that media um, to user base and look at data based on loyalty card info and CPG brands and visa uh, data to for retailers to see basically how your ads are driving in-store purchases. So, you know, we can not only see kind of sales lift and return on ad spend here. So, you know, difference in between how much people are spending who have been exposed to your media and who haven't been, but also look at some other interesting statistic, uh, stats here, KPIs here, like penetration lift, which is difference in the number of people that are actually going out and buying your product um, between that exposed and control group the number of trips they're making to the store, which is especially interesting, you know, as people um, are maybe not going to the store, or maybe they are, depending on what product you're selling, how many units they're actually picking up when they go. So a trend that we've noticed across, especially retail and CPG brands, is that people are making less trips, but when they get there, they're actually buying a lot more. Their basket size is a lot more, which is interesting to to know as a uh, advertising, you know, how these consumer behaviors are changing. And then we can also look at, you know, the frequency of your campaigns and split this all out by insights on, you know, demographics and look at all of this information in flight, which I think is probably one of the key points here, because as we've talked about a hundred times, you know, our consumer behaviors are changing rapidly and they're going to continue to change. So being able to kind of get these insights mid campaign and then optimize towards that information is especially important during COVID. And then again, just proving that out to the hand brand that my, you know, our marketing dollars are actually having some sort of impact um, and tying that kind of end-to-end -end between the marketing spend and the actual in-store purchases. Yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, almost like a holy grail of advertising. You know, if you run mm -hmm. TV advertising through connected TV specifically, um, being able to narrow down a specific audience and then in real, uh, near real time, see the the impact on in store sales. It sounds like what everybody always wanted to. So I, I, mm -hmm. I'm personally really excited to to observe how your team is uh, commercializing this product more, and uh, I'm sure you know we'll see a huge adoption next year because question of measurability will not never go away. It's all about mm -hmm. 
really how much better we can get with it, right? Um, um, so I th it has definitely a lot of interesting uh, applications. Right, and the end goal here for us really is to help our marketers and our clients, you know, and prove to the end brand that what they're doing is really having an impact. Um, so ultimately, you know, you can secure more of these these budgets moving forward. So you know, the more that we can help tie that attribution end to end, you know, the better for our marketers. So that's really the aim of the product is just kind of create that full, full circle and, um, you know, help our marketers improve that return on ad spend to the end brands. Gotcha. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And so aside from this, are there any other projects that you're really excited about going into the next year? Yeah. So something that our team is focusing on now is really, well, we have been, you know, looking at all of these trends, um, with respect to COVID-19 at an industry level, but also on a vertical breakdown. So it's really important for our team, you know, to kind of examine these trends uh, by vertical so that we can start creating really unique solutions for our clients in, in these verticals. So for example, you know, moat outcomes is really specific to CPG and retail, but that might not work for our B2B marketers. So, you know, what we're planning on doing in the, in the comer, coming uh, few months and, and over 2021 is really breaking out uh, our capabilities on a vertical basis so that we can really help enable each um, advertiser within these specific verticals to have, you know, the best kind of product mix for you and proving you know, whatever KPIs make sense for your brand. So, you know, CPG, we're looking at that kind of in-store attribution, but also online attribution, really trying to measure that sales lift. With B2B, for example, you know, it's a little bit uh, longer of a sales cycle, but we're trying to help our B2B marketers kind of figure out which accounts um, they're actually able to speak to and and kind of break down um, the audience analytics there so we can kind of funnel that back into maybe their ABM strategy. In healthcare and pharma, not retail and healthcare, healthcare and pharma, uh, again, this is a very different vertical that potentially you're not really looking to measure sales lift or try to figure out your ABM list there. Um, but maybe you're trying to target physicians and, and leverage NPI level reporting and targeting through Stack Adapt. So these are all kind of, you know, product solutions that we're looking to help build on the Stack Adapt platform. But then also think about what makes sense in terms of not only the attribution and analytics piece, but also uh, what works best, which types of inventory, which types of data, which KPIs you should be optimizing towards, and really finding that perfect mix that will help in your specific vertical. And I think something that is really helpful and kind of positions us uniquely to do so is that we can take a look at kind of the macro trends that we're seeing across the Stack App platform and work with some of our data providers and inventory providers to help create that perfect mix and then give that information to our marketers so that they can actually action upon it. Yeah, that sounds incredibly interesting. And, you know, um, even from my perspective, when you know, originally going back uh, a few years when we started building this platform, you know, we always thought of ourselves more of a, a so software platform. So, mm. you know, here's a piece of software and pretty pretty much independent of which vertical you work in. You know, our sales pitch was basically you can use the software product uh, we right. work with in any industry. But I think over the last year and a half, we really matured to understand that each industry has uh, obviously a unique set of challenges. Mm -hmm. And we've been busy building out our kind of V1 of all our solutions around kind of key industries. But I think what we'll probably see more of and what I'll personally be championing more is really almost down to a brand level. So imagine you start with finance and banking. That's such a broad category, right? Yeah. To drill down, you have, for example, insurance. Under insurance, you have life insurance, auto insurance, home insurance. You know, each one of those companies may want to target um, uh, consumers or agents. 
And it just gets so complicated that to a point where each brand is, even though within the same sub vertical or sub industry, they actually are fundamentally different brands. So mm-hmm. even then, one solution for in, for insurance doesn't work for everybody. So yeah. I would love for us to to get to a level where our capabilities could could really tailor our solution to each individual brand within the sub vertical. So I think mm-hmm. you know, as we scale solutions team, that has a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what we're looking to do. I mean, creating like not only just a vertical level kind of playbook that describes the perfect mix of um, targeting, measurement, inventory, et cetera, but then breaking it down further and looking at different sub verticals and even further than that, advising clients on the brand level, you know, really understanding what the needs are and then making sure that we are creating that perfect mix for your brand so that we can hit exactly, you know, the KPIs that we're looking for and really set your brand up for success. So, I mean, that's something that I'm really excited about. And that's, you know, the focus of our team in in 2021. And I think (laughs) kind of plays into what we've been talking about in terms of focusing on customer experience and really, you know, leveraging that during, during these times right now, like we're really looking to help be more of a partner and, and, more play a consulting role with our brands um, being more of an ally and really working with our brands to help achieve a positive outcome for them. So I'm, I'm excited for it. That's going to be a busy year ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Meredith, I feel like we could continue chatting for another hour easily. But yeah, I, I really want to say thank you for joining me today to, to talk about all these really interesting trends and all, all the interesting work you've been working on. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on here. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode today. If you like what you heard, it would mean a world to us if you do these three things. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you're listening to this and know someone who would find this episode valuable, please share it with them. And finally, please share it on LinkedIn. If you have questions or feedback or would love to learn how agencies or brands work with StackItApp, find us at www.stackitapp.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.